Good evening, everybody. It's so weird not to say good morning. Being here at night is, is hard to get used to. We're excited that you uh, chose to come here tonight and to celebrate um, really a, a, a pivotal uh, thing for us as Christians. You know, the, the, the death of Jesus. As we fix our eyes on the cross here tonight and, and remember what he did for us about 2,000 years ago. So I'm excited uh, for tonight. And, you know, as I was preparing for the lesson, uh, there's one word that kept coming up over and over again, and that was extravagant, you know, because we're really talking about an extravagant message. So as that kept popping up, I just decided to type it into the Google search bar one day. And I did that. And this whole list of, of things that you can choose from came down in that drop down menu. And one of them said, extravagant purchases of the rich and famous. So I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. So I clicked on it, and it had like the top 100 most ridiculous things that rich people have bought, you know, in the past 20 years or so. And some of them were, were somewhat normal. You know, you had like your yachts and your multi-million dollar homes, uh, your Ferraris and your really expensive cars and that kind of stuff. But as I was going through the list, I was like, man, rich people can buy some really dumb stuff. And, you know, just to give you a couple of examples, okay, in 2010, there was a stamp. Okay, we're talking about like a little half inch by half inch sticky piece of paper. It's, it's a stamp. And in 2010, it went up for auction. and Somebody spent $2.82 million on a stamp. Okay, it was an 1885 Swedish mis, misprint stamp. I mean, this, you couldn't even use it nowadays. $3 million on a stamp. And I feel ripped off paying, what is it, like 49 cents for a stamp now? I mean, I'm like, man, I just, that does not make sense to me. That's an extravagant purchase that for a simple person like me just kind of blows my mind. Another one was Lady Gaga. You guys know who Lady Gaga is? If you don't know, you're not missing out on anything. But she spent $50,000 on something that's called an electromagnetic field meter. And then she hired, uh, I guess the technical term would be like ghost hunters to come in and to try to detect a ghost that she said was haunting her. So 50 grand on a little machine and really some wannabe ghostbusters to try and, and detect this ghost that she thought was haunting her. Again, that's, that's a purchase that just kind of blows my mind. I don't understand it. And then the last one was Kanye West. He spent $750,000 to install five gold-plated toilets in his house. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this out there, but I don't care how much you try to bedazzle a toilet. You can't make those things pretty. They're, they're nasty. And you spend almost a million dollars to have five of them just wrapped in gold. This is, that's a purchase that just kind of blows my mind. I don't understand it. And I was thinking about that. And it's like, you know, it, it's really hard to understand the actions of people if you don't understand their purpose. If you don't understand the purpose behind what somebody does, it's really hard to understand their actions. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know what? That really pertains to the life of Jesus. Because when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about an extravagant story. And unless you understand what his purpose is, his actions are not going to make sense to you. Because this story says that Jesus, the Son of God, left the perfection of heaven, left his royal position in heaven to live in the slums and the brokenness of this earth. To, to live amongst people who hated him, who would beat him, and who would eventually kill him. That, that boggles my mind. That doesn't make sense. We say, Why would anybody do that? Well, if you don't understand his purpose, if you don't understand that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, his actions 
won't ever make sense. And making sense of Jesus is something that even Peter struggled with. Peter struggled with it, not because he didn't believe Jesus, but because he misunderstood the purpose of Jesus. Do you remember that story in Matthew 16? When Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, who, who do people say that I am? The disciples say, well, some people say this, some people say that. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter steps up and, and he says, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And then the scriptures say, from that point on, Jesus went about telling the people that I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders. And then I'm going to be killed. But then I'm going to rise three days later. Remember, remember that conversation that happened between Jesus and Peter? Peter hears this, and again, he doesn't understand the purpose of Jesus fully yet, so he pulls Jesus to the side, and he begins to rebuke him. Jesus, what are you talking about? This, this can never happen to you. Don't you know that you're the Messiah? Don't you know that we're still under uh, the oppression of Rome? Don't you know that you're supposed to save us? And then Jesus comes back at Peter with like a karate chop to the esophagus that when you read it, you're like, because <gasps> Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's, could you imagine going back in time and watching this? You know, like eavesdropping on this conversation, eating some milk duds and watching like an ancient day version of a Jerry Springer show, like Jesus and Peter going back and forth. This is, this is crazy stuff. Jesus says, look, Peter, you don't understand my purpose. Your mind is set on the things of man, not on the things of God. I mean, unless you understand Jesus' purpose, his actions don't make sense. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to atone for the sins of people like you and I. And if you don't understand that, then his actions will never make sense. And, and here's what I want us to get. This is kind of like the crux of the message. If this is the only thing you hear tonight, um, then it's the only thing you're going to hear tonight. But underneath, okay, check this out. Underneath the, the oppression and trial, underneath any oppression or any trial, flows this divine current of purpose. Okay, so whatever kind of oppression or trial might be going on in your life, know that underneath that flows a divine current of purpose. There is a purpose for the oppression and the trial that you are facing. There was a, a purpose for the oppression and trial that Jesus was going to face. You see, had Peter's mind been set on the things of God, he would have known that the cross was necessary. So as Jesus was explaining his actions, he would have realized that Okay, it is, it is right for Jesus to die. It is right for Jesus to suffer many things so that our sins would be atoned for. Had Peter's mind been set on the things of God, he would have known that it was the will of the Lord to crush his son, Isaiah 53.10. It was God's will to crush his son so that many would be counted as righteous. You see, Peter was on the surface. All he saw was the trial and the oppression, and it didn't make sense. Jesus was tapped in to that divine current of purpose. He said, look, no, the cross is necessary to bring those far from God near to him. The cross is necessary for people like you and I to have a right relationship with God. And my hope and my prayer is that tonight we would tap into that divine purpose and see that under the oppression of the cross is this beautiful truth that there's everlasting life for you and I because of what Jesus experienced on the cross. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 53 tonight. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along uh, up on the screen or in your bulletin. It's also in there. I'll be reading from the ESV, starting in verse 4. 
And I don't have a, a bunch of time to go into it, but this is one of those passages that obviously speaks about Jesus. It's an awesome study if you get a chance to do it. This was written 700 years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. And this is what Isaiah writes, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we go through these verses, we're going to see that Jesus took three things from us in order to give us something. He took our pain. He took our punishment. And he took our place. And it's here in verse 4 that we see Jesus taking our pain. And now this is interesting to note that before Isaiah gets to the fact that, that the Christ, the Messiah, would take our sin, he, he's talking about the Messiah taking our infirmities. These are our, our mental and our, and our physical weaknesses. They are not sin itself. Rather, they are the effects of sin that the Christ is bearing here in this verse. Okay, I had a good friend um, come a couple weeks ago and, and speak uh, for the youth group, and he gave this really cool picture that I'm going to kind of steal from him. He said, if sin is the rock that's thrown into the still pond, the griefs and the sorrows are the ripples that protrude from where the rock entered the water. So, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the effects of sin here, because sin not only brings about death, but in its wake, it leaves a heavy burden of anxiety and fear and sickness and sorrow and grief and pain. And it's at the cross that Jesus stooped his shoulders down low enough to bear that load. Because the reality is you and I, we can't bear the heavy load of the effects of sin. We were never created to be able to bear those loads. So it was Jesus at the cross who stooped down low enough to lift that heavy load, to lift those burdens from us, and to carry them away. Because that word bore, it really literally means to lift up a heavy load and to carry it away. And that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. It's not just sin itself, but the effects of sin that weigh heavy on our hearts. And it was Jesus who took those soul-crushing consequences of sin at the cross. And this is one of those things that I could just kind of sit here and rant on about. But rather than doing that, I'm going to invite a friend and a good sister in the Lord. Uh, Jen, if you want to make your way on out. She's actually going to share a testimony, um, a real-life story, if you will, of, of how she experienced the, the relief of having those, those, those sorrows and those griefs lifted from her shoulder. And she's going to share a beautiful story of how God turned something so horrible into something so beautiful. So, Thanks, Josh. Let me get my notes here. Um, February 10th, 1997. If you were alive then, probably doesn't have an impact on you. That date changed my life and my husband Steve's life for forever. Um, woke up at 1230 in the morning, nine months pregnant with our first child, bleeding profusely, just blood everywhere. Um, you know, first pregnancy, you're a little naive. Actually, I was really naive thinking, oh, we're good. You know, I woke Steve up. He called the hospital. They said, yeah, come on in. We came in, and on our way, my bleeding had stopped on the way to the hospital. 
So again, I'm thinking, we're good, you know, first baby, going to a good hospital, great doctors. Um, we get to the hospital, they're kind of slow, you know, hooking me up on monitors and taking their time, and so that put me at ease even more. And hooked me up to the monitor to check Tyler's heartbeat, and it was strong and it was good. Um, went into labor, started having major contractions, thought, this is great, this is, this is what is supposed to happen. Still thinking, we're good, you know, we're good, we're in a good hospital. Um, the doctor then comes in and does an exam on me, and she gets this look on her face, and she said, we need to prep you for an emergency C-section right now. And I went to protest because I didn't want that. I didn't want a C-section, and, and they were just, the emergency personnel were just everywhere, running in every which way, and had me in the OR within minutes, seemed like minutes, got me in there. Um, Steve was able to come in after I had gotten all set, and so I'm laying there even still thinking, okay, we're good. You know, we're, we're, we're good. God's got this. I wasn't super worried. I was a little anxious, but, you know, you're laying on an operating table. And I was trying to think of a verse. I was just racking my brain thinking, all right, come on. I, I, I know lots of verses. Couldn't think of anything. All I could think of was I started singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, and sang it over and over and over. And I looked at Steve, and he was, you know, pretty calm. Both of us were still pretty calm and um, realized that they had Tyler out. But we weren't hearing anything. We weren't hearing him cry. The next thing we heard, they were doing CPR on him. That's when I went, hmm, this isn't good. No, nobody was saying anything. They didn't tell us anything. They, they whisked me off to the recovery room. Um, Steve and I didn't know what was going on. We didn't have any idea of what was going on. You know, really, we really, really felt a peace up until that moment. And we were in the recovery room. The doctor comes in with tears streaming down her face. And she said, he didn't make it. She said, we did everything that we could. He didn't make it. And she said, but I got to tell you something. The reason why you had that bleeding is because your placenta abrupted completely off of your body. And he flipped his little body, and he was breech, and he stopped your bleeding, or you would have bled to death. He saved your life. And I thought, oh, Lord, I would have given my life for him. That's what a mom does. That's what a dad does. That's what any parent does. They give their life for their children. And that didn't mean anything to me at the time because I thought that doesn't matter. But God had other plans. Obviously, that was in God's plan for him to take Tyler at that young age and to leave me here on earth. It didn't make sense. The doctors didn't have any reason at all why my placenta did what it did. It made no sense at all. Usually it's if you've done drugs or if you've been in a car accident and got hit in the abdomen, nothing. So they just said, just one of those things. And so I thought, okay, so instead of preparing to take our firstborn son home, we were preparing a funeral. We had a funeral for him. Um, it was a beautiful service, a lot of community support in the area. 
um, went home. After that, my mom was with us for the that week, just trying to help me to heal physically. And that next day, Steve had gone back to work, and I told her, I said, "I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I, I don't know how to navigate through this. What, what do you do? How, how do you do this? Anybody that's ever been through grief knows what that's like." And um, I said, I just feel like we need to go get a Bible study. That's the only thing I could think of. You know, let's go get a Bible study. She said, okay. We went into town that day, and I picked up a Bible study called Lord Heal My Hurts. And I got into that Bible study, and I will tell you what, I fell so deeply in love with God's Word that I would take my Bible with me wherever I went, at night, I would lay it on my head at times. I would lay it on my heart at times. It, it was all that I had because I knew that my healing was only going to come from God's word. My marriage, which was on the brink of disaster because of this, because of grief, that was going to be our only healing was in God's word. And I knew that. Um, I knew God's word. You know how we do, but I didn't know God's word. And I started to just eat it and breathe it and do everything and just, and just soak it in. And slowly being in God's word, I slowly started to surrender. Surrender. Why did this happen? What, what was the purpose of this? Instead of doing this like we do, I slowly started to surrender. And remembering a verse that I had read so often that God can bring beauty from ashes. But in order for him to do that, we can't do this. He, he seldom can use beauty or bring beauty from this. We have to just release it to him. Slowly I began to release that to him. Um, took years and years. Um, fast forward 15 years. I had been having some life-threatening health issues that the doctors just went, we don't know what's going on. We don't know. Went down to the mail. We don't know. You know, everybody was just, we don't know. Went and saw a specialist up here um, in Prescott, and um, he diagnosed me with several different things. And he said, looking over my history, he said, you know, this is the reason why your placenta abrupted 15 years ago was because of these health issues that were kind of laying dormant in my body and had been for many, many years. Fifteen years later, we were able to go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But the best part of that is beauty from ashes. Remember, I was saying he can bring beauty from ashes. The best part of this is that doctor looked at me and said, you didn't go on to have any more children, did you? And I said, oh, uh, we did. I said, we have two beautiful healthy girls. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you never, ever should have had those children. And I pointed my finger in his face and I said, I serve a big God. And I believe that our girls and my marriage are the biggest, biggest beauty that has come from that heap of ashes. And I don't know what kind of ashes you have tonight. I don't know where you are. I don't know what kind of hurt you have. 
But if you're doing this with your hurt and if you're doing this with your ashes, just surrender it, lay it at the foot of the cross and just watch what God can do with your ashes. Watch the beauty that can come out of that because I'll tell you what, it is amazing. If I had three or four hours to sit and talk with you, I could share so many beautiful things that came out of this tragedy and this heartache that we, that Steve and I still deal with every day. But to see the beauty that has come from that is amazing when you surrender. I'm going to leave you with Isaiah 61, 3. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. And I fully believe that God wants us to be strong trees of righteousness when you surrender your ashes. Thanks. And it's a, a beautiful story of, of what surrender looks like, of what having that, that grief and that sorrow lifted uh, looks like. And, and, you know, it's, it's in Christ that we see a God who came near to us, who became like us so that he could take those things away from us. So it, like Jen said, if you have pain in your life right now and if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, know that that pain won't last forever and that that sorrow won't have the last word you know, in Jesus, we not only have a savior, but we have a sorrow carrier. But the cool thing is that he didn't just take our pain. He didn't just take our sorrows. He actually took our punishment that we deserve. And that's what we see here in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus didn't hang on the cross and endure everything that he endured because he was a sinner. Now, the scriptures say that he was faultless, that he was blameless, that he was perfect. Rather, all the anguish that he experienced on the cross was, was my fault. It was your fault. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is one of those verses that the more personal you read it, the more meaningful it becomes. So, so we're going to change it just a little bit. We're going to insert some first-person pronouns. And we're going to read this together as a congregation because I am part of that us in this passage. And you are part of that us in this passage. So it's going to come up here on the screen. And we're going to read it together. And, and, and I just, just allow this to, to really rest on your heart. Uh, I, just, I pray that in, in these next moments as we read this verse together, it would just become new to you. So, looks like it's ready. We'll go ahead and read this together. But he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with his wounds, I am healed. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the he in that passage that was pierced and crushed for you? I mean, it's really easy to talk about other people needing Jesus and Jesus dying for other people. But do you realize how personal that is? How much each one of us needs that? Do you believe those words that we just read? I mean, look at these 
words that flow through this passage. He was stricken, he was afflicted, he was pierced, he was crushed, he was chastised, his wounds. All of these words are evidence of the righteous wrath of God being taken out on sin. And it was at the cross that Jesus took our place. He stepped in as a substitute to absorb that wrath against sin so that we wouldn't have to. And this is a beautiful truth of the cross, that that on the cross, Jesus absorbed that wrath so that we might experience the favor of God. I mean, that that is huge. That's something that that I think we can often miss. We have a tendency to kind of make the cross this like beautiful thing because, you know, we turn it into gold and silver jewelry and flashy tattoos and white things that we throw up on buildings. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad, but man, there was some crazy stuff that happened on the cross. And when you really study it, when you really dive in, you you just can't help but just say, thank you, Lord, for taking my place. Because it was on the cross that, that he did that. You know, Tom and I, I don't know if Pastor Tom's in here, but we were talking a while ago and we were, you know, I think he was the one that brought it up. If we were actually at the cross 2,000 years ago, you and I, if we can just kind of like zap back in time, we would probably suffer from PTSD after seeing something like that. I mean, just the, the wrath of God being taken out on Jesus. It's, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's extravagant. It's something that we have a really hard time wrapping our head around. You know, an innocent man, suffering for the guilty. You know, I, I see Jeff sitting over here, just kind of higher up in the sheriff's office, so he might be able to make this happen if anybody wants to do it. I don't think anybody will. But is there anybody in here that's willing to, t- to, to trade your freedom, to tra- trade your bed, you know, the food that you have in your cupboards, the, the time that you have with your family? Are you guys willing to trade that for a convicted felon over in Camp Verde in the prison over there? And we can go pick out somebody who's been, you know, tried and, and convicted of, of murder or, or, or rape or child abuse. Anybody here willing to go trade places with a guilty man? I know I'm not going to raise my hand, but isn't that what Jesus did for us? I mean, mean, think about this innocent person who has never experienced the guilt of sin. You know, we've all experienced that guilt that comes along with, with sinning. Jesus never experienced that. Yet on the cross, that, that, that's, that's what we're going to get to in verse 6. That was laid on him. I mean, that, that's just mind-blowing to think that Jesus took our sin. The murders, the rapes, the child molestations, that, that was put on him. You know, why would anybody do that? His actions don't make sense unless you understand his purpose. His purpose was to atone for those sins to take our punishment and to pay our debt because scripture is perfectly clear that we've all sinned and that what we deserve for our sin is death. It's a debt that we can't pay. So Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to pay it for them. I'll, I'll, I'll switch places with them. Father, treat me as though I'm guilty and, and, and treat them as though they are innocent. You know, there was, there was some beautiful stuff that happened on the cross. And I think it's, it's only fitting for us to pause here for a moment. And Jamie's actually going to come out and we're going to do things a little bit different tonight because Jamie's going to lead a song and he's going to lead from the audience. And, and there's not going to be anybody up here on stage. We're, we're going we're to stand and we're going to sing this song, Lead Me to the Cross, because the reality is you can't, you can't go to the resurrection. You can't go to Sunday without first making a pit stop at Friday, at the cross. You can't experience the beauty and the freedom that, that, that Jesus offers without first going to the cross. Yes, Sunday is important. Yes, 
It's coming. Yes, what happened on Sunday validates everything that happened on Friday, but we can't get to Sunday without first going to the cross. So would you guys stand with me? Jesus calls us to the cross. He not only went there, he calls us to the cross. And we're going to sing that truth out together as a congregation. Lord, lead me to the cross. Amen. You can be seated now. You know, Jesus, driven by his love for us and the knowledge that only he could pay our sin debt, he he willingly took on the ridicule and the shame, the slaps and the punches in the face, the loogies that were spit at him, the pulling of his beard, the crown of thorns that was pressed into his skull. He, He endured the nails being driven through his hands and his feet. Prior to that, he endured the the lashings on his torso that opened up his back and his rib cage. Ultimately, he he endured suffocation, really, on on the cross, driven by his his love for us. He, He took our punishment at the cross, but the story goes on and we see that he not only took our pain, he not only took our punishment, but at the cross, he also took our place. This is verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, whether you want to admit it or not, left on our own, we are nothing more than sheep that are prone to wander. I mean, I've never owned a sheep before, but I hear that they're pretty dumb. And I was trying to get into the mind of a sheep as I was getting ready for this. It's kind of hard to do, but all I could come up with is if I was a sheep, the only thing I would be worried about is the next patch of grass that I was going to eat. You know, that's kind of what sheep do. They just go from one patch to the next to the next. When one is eaten, they move to the next. And aren't we the same? You know, we move from one selfish decision to the next, from one lust to the next, from one bad decision to the next. Scripture is clear. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all wandered away from the Lord, making choices, just kind of unaware of the consequences of those choices, unmindful of what's going on around us. We've all wandered away from the Lord. And the reality is, in our wandering, God was under no obligation to save us. You see, we kind of grow up in a culture that that says that we're entitled to a lot of stuff. And especially as a millennial, you know, we have this mindset that we are entitled to like everything. We were not, we are not entitled to anything from God. He does not owe us anything. He warned us. We wandered. He could have been, he would have been 100% justified if he just said, look, you're going to have to face the consequences of your wandering on your own. He didn't have to save us, but praise the Lord that we have a compassionate and merciful and loving and forgiving God who has a heart to seek and to save the lost. Amen? Amen. Because we are a bunch of just scattered, wandering sheep, but we have a good shepherd that would ultimately lay down his life for us so that we could have a way back into the fold of God. It was at the cross, as we talked about earlier, that Jesus agreed to have all the sins of humanity laid on him. So whatever sin you did in your life, past, present, or future, okay, 
Adolf Hitler, all of those, you know, the, the murderers, the, the thieves. You think about that. That was laid on Jesus at the cross. It's no wonder that the night before he was sweating drops of blood and, and he was just feeling all of this anguish. I mean, could you imagine that? Never experiencing the consequences of sin and then all of a sudden, at least internally experiencing the consequences of sin, and then all of a sudden at the cross, that just come flooding into your life. I mean, Jesus was treated as though he had committed all of our sins. And then in return, we get God's favor. That's something that just, it's extravagant. It's over the top. It's hard to make sense of. It was just one of those things that you just have to like really stop and say, what, what just happened? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I probably sound redundant. I just can't get over the fact that an innocent person would suffer for the guilty. I mean, you could spend a lifetime studying the cross and never fully understand everything that Jesus did on that night 2,000 years ago. And one of the reasons why I love preaching on Good Friday is because it forces me back to the grotesque beauty of the cross. You know, it forces me back to study it in a new light. You know, it's just if you could picture the gospel or the, or the cross of Christ and the resurrection as a gym, you know, it's like you just turn it a little bit and you study a new facet of it. And then it just leaves you in awe and wonder. You're like, man, I just can't believe how much you actually love me, Jesus. That, that you would take my place on the cross and that you would be treated like a sinner so that I could be treated as innocent. I mean, that's something that I, I hope and I pray you, you just grasp a little bit of tonight. Because it was an extraordinary thing that he did on the cross. And, and I pray that, that you would just taste the extravagant love that Jesus has for you. And I don't think that there's any better way for us to end out this night than taking communion together. Because his body was broken and his blood was shed for us on that cross. So Jamie and Wendy are going to come back out and they're going to lead us in two, two more songs as we close. And communion is set up tonight for, for you to take the elements on your own time. It's for you to, you know, we want you guys to have enough time to really prepare your hearts to remember what it was that Jesus did on the cross for you. Remember what he took. He took our pain, he took our punishment, and he took our place. And in the end, we receive healing and peace and everlasting life for those who trust in him and the work that he accomplished for us on the cross. So anytime during these two songs, you can take those elements on your own and the ushers can come forward now and start passing out those elements. And we wanted to kind of streamline this to give you as much time as possible. So as the trays pass by, um, you're just going to grab one stack of, of, of the cups. On the bottom, there's the bread and on the top is the juice. You just grab one of those. When you're, get, when you're done, like Jamie said, you can throw them in the white cups in front of you. But as those elements are being passed out, I'm going to read over what Paul said in 1 Corinthians about that last meal that he shared with his disciples. And they're eating the Passover meal and Jesus gives new meaning to the bread and the wine. On that night before Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, I, I just, I pray that in these next few moments, we would just steady our hearts. We would forget about all the distractions going on around us, the craziness of, of this past week, that we would just still our hearts, come before God and just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice you made on my behalf. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. As you do that, remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. Not just for the person next to you, but for you. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place Streams of grace flow deep and wide. All the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. And at the cross, at the cross. I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you Where your love ran red And my sin washed white I owe all to you I owe all to you
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.